The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. I was suddenly without a paycheck and rent was due in like two weeks. And I was telling a friend of mine that I was in it a little bit. And he's like, oh, well, I ha- we have this job in my work that you could probably do. It's really boring. It's just like rewriting case studies from this civil engineering firm that he was working at. And I was like, sounds great. I'll take it. Because <laughs> they were like, he's like, it's really boring, but they will pay you within a week. So, okay, great. I'll do it. And one of the case studies was that they had helped Shell re-engineer offshore oil platforms in like the late 90s to prepare for sea level rise. And I was like, that's really interesting because I'm pretty sure that Shell and really none of the oil companies were even admitting this was going to be an issue back then. And sure enough, they weren't. So I pitched that story to like a little tiny environmental magazine that doesn't exist anymore. Um, And that is, that's totally how I got on this beat. I was like, this is really interesting. That led me to look into more and more other things around why the the world had not acted on climate change and what the oil and gas companies had been getting up to from the 90s on through to today. And, um, and I, I'm still on that beat. And welcome back to a Writer Files bonus climate edition episode. I speak with experts and friends outside of the publishing world about a host of subjects of interest to authors. I am still your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Award-winning investigative journalist and executive podcast producer Amy Westervelt spoke to me about her accidental career in climate accountability, the greatest threat to free speech, and her deep dive into the origins of climate denial. Amy is an independent investigative climate journalist has been on the climate beat for more than 20 years, reporting for a wide range of outlets over the years, including Inside Climate News, The Guardian, The Nation, The Intercept, NPR, and many others. She is the executive producer of the independent podcast production company Critical Frequency, and in 2021 helped produce This Land, Season 2, an investigative podcast revealing the forces behind efforts to unravel tribal sovereignty in the U.S. It was nominated for a Peabody Award, in April 2022. In 2020, she produced Unfinished, Short Creek, with Stitcher, which was named a Best Podcast of the Year by The New Yorker and The Atlantic. She also hosted her award-winning climate podcast, Drilled, a Critical Frequency original, 
and was most recently awarded Covering Climate Now's Journalist of the Year Award 2023, a global journalism collaboration co-founded by Columbia Journalism Review, The Nation, and others. In this file, Amy and I discussed why journalists and protesters are being jailed for speaking out, how the early days of climate denialism set the tone for our current dilemma, how to record a hit podcast in your car while your kids are sleeping, why we need climate fiction storytellers now more than ever, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. Yes, we are rolling once again. I am honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest. We've got the award-winning investigative journalist, Amy Westervelt is hanging out with us, and uh, man, I can't wait to pick your brain about all the things. And yeah, uh, uh, are you in Costa Rica presently? I am. Yes, I'm in my little office here. Interesting, interesting. That, that's probably a story unto itself. But um, how long have you been uh, in Costa Rica? Uh, coming up on two years now, um, so not that long. But yeah, it's. It's good. I can't imagine leaving anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Was that a move prompted by um, the pandemic for it or anything? Similar? It was not. Um, it was actually, you know, I started, I started to get really nervous about being a journalist in the U S when they started arresting journalists who were covering protests. <laughs> and um, that was in around mm. 2016, 2017. Yeah. I started to kind of be like, oh, this is not good. And um, my husband's not from the U.S., so, you know, we had talked about moving. He's from Scotland, so we talked about moving there. But he was like, I don't know, I've been gone for so long. If we move there, we kind of can't leave unless mm. he dies. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, so I grew up speaking Spanish with my dad, and I had family in Mexico, so we thought about Mexico. But... It was, I don't know, a bunch of people that I knew were kind of like, I don't know, it's not so great here right now. So then we we eventually landed on Costa Rica in part because I was like, well, you know, as a climate journalist, it would be really cool to see what it's like to live in a place that's kind of enacted a lot of the the policies that people have suggested for, hmm. for other places. So, um, so yeah, yeah, that was, that was kind of it. And honestly, like everyone's like, did you know people there? Had you been there a lot? No, I had never been. We went for one week. Uh, and then like had moved here six months later. <laughs> so, so yeah. There's like an expat community down there, right? It's, oh, for it's sure. Like of, and yeah, it's there's interesting. There's people from all over, like where near where we live, the vast majority of expats are actually French and Italian. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, which I was, I had no idea that that was going to be the case, but it's been great because, um, the kids have so many different kids from all over in their school and I get to practice French and Italian and brush up my Spanish too. It's great. It's real romance language extravaganza over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to talk about, gosh, all the, all the cool stuff that you have going on. 
So I understand that you've been very busy of late and, of course, won an award recently. And, uh, you know, I mean, you've won many awards in your career, but um, well, take us back a little bit. I mean, I want to talk about the more recent stuff and, and recent developments, but I'd also love to hear about this 20-year career as an investigative journalist covering climate accountability and you know, you were you were one of the first, right, covering this beat, and and of course, um, have had some really amazing stories to tell uh, on a lot of different platforms. But um, let's talk about kind of the evolution to now. Yeah, I often talk about my career as being like sort of accidental. <laughs> so I, I actually like I, I graduated from university and like needed a job right away because I had student loans to pay off and, you know, rent to pay and all that kind of stuff. And I I just happened into a job at a magazine that could only have existed in the year 2000 in the Bay Area of California. It was a print magazine about online shopping, like the stupidest idea you've ever heard of. (laughs) It was like really... Just ridiculous. Um, it was like a it was a companion to Better Homes and Gardens, and and um, prudently, the Meredith Public Publishing Corporation <laughs> decided not to put that magazine out. But I mean, I worked for like almost a year on the debut issue of this thing, and um, and you know, yeah, never saw the light of day. But it made me want to work in media because it was it was really fun. It was fun to see how a magazine got put together, and I liked. Um, talking to people about random things and I liked writing and all of that stuff. So, um, so then I, I worked for kind of a small arts and culture magazine. And again, it was like, like I, I took a job, I took a job as an intern there and within three weeks, the entire editorial staff had like stormed out on mass because <laughs> the publisher was indeed, um, a really, bizarre character and a pretty tough person to deal with. And um, so he made me and the other intern co-managing editors overnight. And then the next day, the other intern showed up like two minutes late and got fired. So it was just me. And (laughs) (laughs) it was so bizarre. The creative director was in New York. We were in San Francisco. The creative director was like, okay, great. So I have this whole issue mapped out. It's going to be our politics issue. We're going to interview Ralph Nader and Noam Chomsky. And I was like, great. Uh, So who's doing these interviews? Where are they? And he goes, oh, they haven't been scheduled yet. I have no idea. (laughs) So in, in a map, and I was like, and when are we going to press? And he's like in two weeks. So uh, we, but we pulled it off. We got an interview with Ralph Nader, Noam Chomsky. Amazing. Put it actually an, an issue of that magazine that I'm still proud of today. And, um, and again, I was like, ooh, this was fun. Stressful, but really fun. And I started working there and worked there for, I don't know, a couple of years before I too stormed out um, because he really was <laughs> quite difficult to work you, with. You finally got it. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, um, because of that, I was suddenly without a paycheck and rent was due in like two weeks. And I was telling a friend of mine that I was in it a little bit. And he's like, oh, well, I ha- we have this job, my work, 
you could probably do. It's really boring. It's just like rewriting case studies from this civil engineering firm that he was working at. And I was like, sounds great. I'll take it. (laughs) Because they were like, he's like, it's really boring, but they will pay you within a week. So, okay, great. I'll do it. And one of the case studies was that they had helped Shell re-engineer offshore oil platforms in like the late 90s to prepare for sea level rise. And I was like, that's really interesting because I'm pretty sure that Shell and really none of the oil companies were even admitting this was going to be an issue back then. And sure enough, they weren't. So I pitched that story to like a little tiny environmental magazine that doesn't exist anymore. Um, And that is, that's totally how I got on this beat. I was like, this is really interesting. That led me to look into more and more other things around why the, the world had not acted on climate change and what the oil and gas companies had been getting up to from the 90s on through to today. And um, and I, I'm still on that beat. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot to do there. Um, so, yes. Yeah, it's all about paying rent, you know? That's how. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> At the end of the day. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime that's patreon.com slash the writer files help us start something cool and special keep calm and write on um well it's important work um obviously more important now than ever as we kind of watch these so we call them the the um concentric circles of crises uh related to climate change and seemingly on a daily you know and weekly schedule we're we're, we're having to scramble to figure out what what is happening to our planet um having just experienced the the hottest summer the hottest year right on record 
I swear every month is a new record. It's really, um, it's pretty scary because what's happening now is really much worse, much faster than what any of the scientists were predicting. My, my personal theory is that the scientists actually were being quite conservative because they knew that there would be the kind of backlash that there was and actually kind of tamped down their projections, you know, um, unfortunately, because things are, are really, um, moving quite quickly now. And the fossil fuel industry has has not stopped with any of, of the, the sort of tactics that it's always used. I, I feel like, like I have written a lot about historically what they were doing, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the early days of climate denial and all of that stuff. And sometimes I go, oh, wait, actually, is this helpful? Because people start to think like, oh, that's, you know, stuff they did in the past, but they're now, now they're, you know, fully embracing the energy transition. No, they are not. They're doing a really good job of pretending that they are, but they are not. <laughs> um, they are barreling towards a cliff, um, just ramping up production every day. And, um, and it's pretty scary. It's, it's a scary time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so hence, today, uh, drilled media and Right. Talk yeah. a little bit about so this is now now this is your 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 home base really because I think we can find all of the all of the resources all of the reporting um, and and the up to kind of the up to the minute stuff on yeah in, including your award winning uh, podcasts plural I say plural because you've worked on um, a handful and now have this uh, critical frequency podcast network which is doing some amazing uh, journalism there. So yeah, I mean, this is this is all really really cool to see. So when we go to, I, I think the site is drilled.media. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a bit going on, but we can find the podcast there, and we can learn more about um, your mission there. But yeah, I'm super interested in the real free speech threat, which I think you're you're rolling out um, as we speak. But talk about what 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 is going on now. What uh, what's on your? Because you you seem like a super busy lady. Yeah. But it's yeah, what do, you, what, do you got your finger, <laughs> what do you got your fingers into of late? Yeah. So the drill.media site was kind of, you know, I have been doing so many different things all in this area of climate accountability. So, you know, multiple podcasts and they each like had their own websites. And then I was doing print work for The Guardian and The Intercept and the New Republic writing about climate accountability and doing reporting for those various outlets. And um, I kind of realized, oh, it'd be cool if all of this could just live in one place. <laughs> because in my mind, they're all connected, but in the world, they're just kind of all over the place. So, so now everything's in one place and we're starting to do more print stories uh, that are co-published with all those outlets I just mentioned, and then some more uh, coming down the road as well. And part of that also came about because I did this story maybe two years ago now in Guyana, looking at how ExxonMobil was working with the government there to really start like a brand new oil and gas industry, which seemed really interesting that, you know, at this time where everyone's like, how are we going to ramp down the fossil fuel industry? They're just starting in this country and ramping up really, really quickly. Like they shipped their first oil barrel from Guyana in 2019. And by 2025, 
Exxon is predicting that Guyana will be like its most productive offshore oil area, which is really fast. And they talk about this all the time too. Like, oh, we did there in, you know, five years, it usually takes 10. And that, so that was super interesting. Went down there, found a reporter to work with there. And she and I ended up co-reporting the story for quite a while and are, are continuing to kind of stay in touch and um, work together on different things. And that experience really made me think like, why aren't we doing this more often? There's so many outlets that have reporters in multiple places, but they just kind of do this very siloed coverage where it's like the reporter in Guyana is reporting on Guyana and that's it. And she and I, like, because I was looking at Exxon globally and like tuning into earnings calls and watching what, you know, shareholder resolutions were coming up and that kind of stuff. That was a, I was able to inform her reporting there. And then she was like on the ground and able to tell me stuff that they were doing there that was contradicting what they were saying in, um, in the U.S., which no one else was doing. And we were able to find a lot of things that way. So because that worked so well, um, I went about <laughs> finding, finding reporters in lots of other places too. So now we've got a reporter in Europe. Uh, we've got two reporters in Africa, still the same reporter in Guyana is helping with um, kind of Latin America, Caribbean coverage. I'm in Costa Rica now, so I have a little better grip on what's happening in this part of the world as well. Uh, reporters in Australia, Canada, the U.S. and India as well. And that is enabling us to look really kind of across various borders at what the industry is doing and sort of how different trends are spreading, um, which is where the whole real free speech threat comes in. So, so I started to notice that, um, you know, I was working on a story in the U.S. about how protest and particularly climate protest was increasingly being kind of vilified in the press and then also criminalized in all these ways. So there are new laws being passed that increase the fines and jail time for protest, but then also like a lot of other existing laws are being used against protesters. So like racketeering laws, for example, which were written to deal with the mob are now being used against environmental protesters. <laughs> it's like, wow, is protest organized crime? Hmm. Um, that's really, that's a stretch, uh, but it's happening. It's happened actually quite a few times. Um, but as I started working on that story, I just happened to be talking to a reporter in Australia who was like, oh, that sounds a lot like what's happening here. And similarly, a reporter in Canada was like, yeah, that's kind of happening here too. So we started to look at this as a team and it's like, oh, wow, there's a reason that all of these you know, very similarly worded laws are showing up in multiple countries at the same time. And why like the, you know, quote unquote thought leaders that are going on the, the TV to talk about how annoying climate protesters are all kind of sound the same. Um, so we started to really track, you know, what are different parts of the industry doing to, to push for that? What are different think tank networks doing to kind of coordinate messaging. And um, what we found is really troubling. It's, there's quite a bit of coordination. I mean, in general, when you see lots of the same things happening in the same, like in different countries at the same time, that doesn't, that doesn't happen by accident. Um, <laughs> and so again, it's like, oh, okay. This is another proof point of like, 
yeah, working, working on stories in this cross-border collaborative way allows us to find a bunch of things that none of us had found on our own previously. And that's, that's kind of the big focus for, for me right now is, is more of those kinds of stories. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. such important work and it's um it's so troubling to know still to that to this day that there is so much disinformation and yeah obfuscation and of course as you put it um propaganda yeah it's original name (laughs) yeah what uh what is what is your unique neologism for the for the petrol propaganda. Oh, petroganda. Yeah. Petro- <laughs> I was close. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that word, petroganda. But uh, yeah, uh, it just kind of, I, I just kind of get a chill thinking about the future. Um, I know. Kids, of course. But uh, you're doing, you're doing real good and making real, a real impact out there. And congratulations. Obviously, you were named Journalist of the Year recently. Uh, by a distinguished climate group, and talk a little bit about that award and, and the meaning of that from that group. Yeah, so um, this is a group called Covering Climate Now, and it is—I don't know what they would describe themselves as, but I guess it's sort of like a member organization that um, consists of kind of all of the media outlets that cover yeah. climate. So it's it's like from pretty small independent outlets like ours up to, you know, CNN, the BBC, Reuters, all of those kinds of folks. They, they co- actually call themselves a global journalism collaboration co-founded by Columbia Journalism Review and The Nation, which you've written for. I think The Guardian is quite involved now, too, with like how it's run. That So because of that, it was very flattering because I know I've been a judge of those awards before and I know that the... the um, the judging panel is like all people that I really respect it's folks from, you know, time magazine and the New Yorker and CNN and all these really, you know, legit places. <laughs> so it's nice when, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. your peers are, are um, kind of saying you're doing a good job. It's always, always nice to hear. Yeah. Especially because there are so many more climate journalists every year, which is great. Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah, know what to really say. Cool to it was see. nice. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, flattering, but important, and probably shines a light on 
more of your work. It gives you a little bit more. Yes, that's visibility. True. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice like um, validation that yeah we're doing important work and people are noticing. And well, congratulations! I understand that your reporting has inspired congressional hearings into climate disinformation. Um, of course, we can hear about some of this reporting and c- these congressional hearings on your fantastic podcast drilled which i did listen to when it first came out we actually listened to it at a, as, as a kind of a we were doing a podcast like book club oh cool several years ago and so was we, it podcast brunch club it was in denver colorado with a a uh podcast kind of co-working and production space called house of pod and um yeah with my friend paul Caroli, who's who works for CityCast now, which is a kind of local reporting in cities around the country here in the U.S. So, so yeah, I, I've been a fan of your work for quite a while, and uh, I found Drilled to be incredibly, incredibly informative and important. But yeah, and so that brings us to critical frequency and, and talking about, I love this uh, tagline the best story is the truth and this is a women-run <laughs> podcast network right and we're talking yes. about climate accountability and it's uh, why it's so critical now to really understanding and addressing what our planet is facing yes and we do also under critical frequency work on some other podcasts as well so like let's see maybe two years ago now we reported and produced the second season of the podcast, This Land, which um, is about indigenous rights and sovereignty. And for that project, we put together a reporting team and tried to figure out kind of who was funding this big legal attack on the Indian Child Welfare Act, which was passed in the 70s, sort of always kind of bipartisan support. And then all of a sudden, starting in like 2013, there started to be all of these legal attacks on it. And we did trace, you know, why that was happening and the money behind it. And it has a lot to do with unraveling sort of the foundations of tribal sovereignty to get at things like gaming rights and water rights and land rights and all of that stuff. So cool to use kids to do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it was really, really dark. Um, but it was a a really amazing, amazing project to work on that podcast is, um, was created and is hosted and reported by Rebecca Nagel, who's a member of, uh, the Cherokee tribe and several other indigenous reporters. And we ended up getting a Peabody nomination for it. So that was exciting. It's so cool. Although we didn't win. I like to say I'm a Peabody multi, multi, multi-time Peabody losing uh, <laughs> podcast producer. <laughs> oh, man. Perfect. I'll put that in the headline and then file <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. That's so very we cool. Worked, Congrats. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we worked on that. It's kind of basically, you know, people will sometimes come to us if they have a investigative podcast um, that's narrative and they need to work with a production team that can handle all of the like nuts and bolts of audio production, but also has a background in reporting and, you know, in kind of narrative podcasts. So, um, so yeah, that's been kind of a little niche 
for us that's been cool because it's fun. It's actually really fun as a reporter to have like a a sort of thorny question thrown to you that's not something that you're already following. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a fun it's a fun challenge to kind of figure out how to tackle, and it's really very cool. Know, it's fun. Yeah. Well, you've won numerous awards um, for not only your own show, but of course the shows that you've mentioned as well. And so we can find those again, all on drill.media. You can go check out what's going on with the real free speech threat. And then there are links there to podcast episodes related to that. And then of course, yeah, you've got more talking about lots of stuff going on. Um, the global criminalization of climate protests is troubling, but talk about um, this is this is. I thought it was so cool to hear just you, you reminiscing about the start of your podcast before you knew it was going to be like this big thing, like you, that you were making episodes in your car while your kids were <laughs> sleeping. Yes, yes, yeah. So I maybe like seven or eight years ago, I you know had been a print climate reporter for a long time, and I was driving around in my car listening to NPR and being like, I wish I could be an NPR reporter. And then I thought, well, I could probably, you know, maybe I could be. So I, um, I emailed my local member station subject line. Would you like an overaged intern? And, um, <laughs> they were like, you know, actually it takes us a lot longer to train people on the reporting side of things than to teach people how to do audio. So like, yeah, come on in, we'll train you and you can intern for us and then we'll see how it goes. So I did that for a month and then they hired me as a community reporter. And this was at the public radio station in Reno, Nevada, which wow. is a wild place to be a community reporter. Like it's <laughs> absolutely wild. Uh, there's so many random things going on. Um, you know, I reported I on brothels and the Tesla Gigafactory and the Cowboy wow. Poetry Festival. And I mean, just like so many random <laughs> things, you know? <laughs> um, so that was super fun and, and great experience both on the audio side and on the sort of local reporting side of things. But I was a climate reporter. So the whole time I was trying to think of like what I, I really feel like there should be like a serial type podcast for climate. There's so many stories in climate. At the time, the only podcasts were talk shows. It was like, you know, someone interviewing someone else, or it was uh, like a group of a couple, like two or three experts talking about the issue. So I started looking for something that could be a story. And I um, got assigned actually a print story to cover one of the climate lawsuits that started to be filed in like 2017, 2018-ish. And um, this judge in San Francisco ordered a climate science tutorial. So he wanted all of the oil company lawyers and the uh, plaintiff's lawyers to come down to San Francisco and bring their experts and, and tell him kind of who knew what and when about climate science, which was really interesting. So I went and I was in the, I like showed up super early, got a seat in the courtroom I was like, oh, this is it. It's good. I'm going to do a true crime podcast about climate change because all the characters were there. It was like the oil company lawyers and the scientists and the quirky judge and all this stuff. So I, I, like, I pitched it to a bunch of media companies and they all told me that there just was not an audience for narrative climate show because, you know, narrative shows are more expensive. They 
they take more time and they take more money and they were like, we can't justify that, that investment because there's no audience. And I just was convinced that they were wrong. So I kind of made it in my spare time, like at night in my car when my kids were sleeping and initially just thought we would do that first season. It's kind of all about the, the origins of climate denial and, you know, what Exxon knew in the seventies and eighties and what they did with that information and all that stuff. Um, and I went and tracked down a bunch of former Exxon scientists to talk to me and all of that stuff too. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, our first season got over a million listeners. So I was like, oh, there is an audience, sir. Boom. And now it's my <laughs> audience. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. I think also I had the good luck of, you know, launching in the early days of like this podcast boom when it wasn't quite so yeah. hard to, you know, get attention for a show and find an sure. audience and all that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool that you nailed it. Um, and uh, yeah, congrats on the success of that. Congrats on your journalist of the year award. And um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to wrap with just like, you know, to listeners who are maybe thinking, what can I do? You know, at the, you know, a lot of writers listen to this show, um, many of whom write fiction um, and may not have something on their radar for like, oh, something on my to-do list that I can do that will shine a light or, you know, share information or what, you know, what, what can we do as regular old people just kind of like shaking our heads and going, what is happening? Yeah. Well, I always say, like, I did a show with a friend of mine, Mary Anais Hegler, for a long, a while, maybe two or three years, called Hot Take, where we would, we, it was like a media criticism show about climate. And we would get asked this a lot, actually. And Mary had, I think, the best answer to it, which was, she kind of approached it like being a guidance counselor, you know, it was like, well, what, uh -huh. you like? what are you good at? Um, <laughs> so for, for fiction writers, I feel like, um, actually, there's so much that can be done. I still don't feel like, like, we don't, I don't know, there's so many stories I read or see on TV or in the movies or whatever that are supposedly set today, but don't mention this problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I find mm -hmm. it so odd. It's like just, I don't know, looking for ways. I feel like people, a lot of people who are not as like steeped in this stuff as maybe I am or other people are kind of put off by it. Like, I don't know, like if you try to do anything on climate, it has to be like a climate story and be very serious and, you know, um, or that you have to know a bunch about it to even mention it at all. But I don't know, to me, I'm like, I would love to see climate become more of a background detail that's just humming along, you know, <laughs> because that's yeah. kind of what it does in reality. So why is it absent from all of these, you know, present day stories? Like I'll see, I'll see stuff sometimes where, you know, it's like a, a couple today trying to decide if they want to have kids or not. And I'm like, yeah. I can't, I, I'm sorry. I can't imagine this not, I mean, I guess, especially if it's like a progressive couple that's, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> thinking about this stuff, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, that's to me, I'm like, well, storytellers could definitely be using the skills that you have and the um, interests that you already have to kind of think about, okay, how could I, you know, help make this more tangible and real for people? Um, for sure. Yeah. And like talking about it, I think does help. 
Yeah, it's really interesting because it. You're right. It, it. It's like you don't have to go write policy, guys. You know, no one's expecting right. you to do that. It's it's, <laughs> it's 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 sometimes non-existent in in um contemporary fiction, whereas it's almost been relegated to like you know like hard science fiction or something. Yeah, yeah, like whereas dystopian really, sci-fi is like yeah. the only place it shows up, right. and I'm like, what? Why? Right. Yeah. And then and unless you're reading, you know, uh, some some really well-known but re- relatively hard sci-fi authors you probably you know aren't keyed into that piece but also it's like right now is the dist- <laughs> like we are living in a yeah, dystopian present <laughs> like yes. we don't need to we don't really need to extrapolate too yeah. far into the future like the truth really is stranger than fiction at this very moment <laughs> it really is it is i mean yeah i just i have to like stay off of social media, both for like productivity reasons, but also because I'm like, I can't, you know, like this, the sort of endless stream of disaster porn is just, it's like, ugh. I saw there was one thing that got me so bad the other day where it was like, there was a story about Amazonian dolphins, like dying and because the water was so warm, <laughs> it's like, ugh, I can't take it. Yeah. Or today's headline was something about these Chinese fleets overfishing mm-hmm. to the point of extinction and, and all the illegal things that they're, they're doing to this industry um, that are, you know, relatively hidden from yeah. our average everyday seafood Totally, <laughs> in, including like human trafficking is so huge yeah, in that, the fishing industry. And I don't think people realize like there's this very, because sometimes, um, you know, whenever you talk about climate stuff or environmental stuff, the, the criticism that is often lobbed at people is like, well, you know, what about people? What about, what about humans? And what about human suffering? And like, oh yeah, there's a lot of that in this story as well. Um, and yeah, there's that whole piece of it too is really, it's just, it's unsettling. And there are so many stories within the climate crisis Um that I think have not even been remotely mined yet. Yeah. Like, I mean, just honestly, like the, the true crime framing that we did, that's been, that's been copied so many damn times. And like, I'm happy about it. I'm not like, damn it, stop it. You know, I'm like, great. But like, there's a lot of other stories, guys. Like let's let's (laughs) get some new stories going. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, we tip our hats to you for your important work, of course. Thank you. Um, we'll be following along there. Go to drilled.media to find out what the Drilled uh, Global team is doing um, and all these great things. Sign up for the newsletter. I'm about to do that. Um, and I hope to chat with you again in the future. It has been truly, truly an honor and um, come back anytime. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.